I tried my best not to laugh, but uh, it leaked out anyway. <laughs> and now everybody's staring at me. Great. I'm sitting in a conference room with like 10 other people, and it's one of those startup conference rooms that tries very hard not to be a conference room. You know, beanbag chair in the corner, whiteboards on every wall, posters with motivational sayings, you know the type. So people stared at me, and I stared at the wall. And Michael Jordan was there to tell me that I had to fail a bunch of times to succeed in my career. So here goes nothing. So, uh, so guys, I have this idea. And I was off. Four straight minutes of me explaining to them this big idea that I loved. This idea so good that I'd laughed out loud just thinking about how everybody's minds would be blown to smithereens once we launched it. When I finished, everybody looked at my boss. He was sitting at the middle of the table because everybody expected him to sit at the end of the table. And he said, okay, thanks, Jay. (sighs) Damn it, MJ. As we walked out of the meeting, a friend came up to me. Dude, that was an awesome idea. He just doesn't get it. Today on the show, in on the secret, why ideas are kind of like secrets that we keep from the world and why so many of us are scared of sharing them publicly. It's unthinkable. Welcome to Unthinkable, stories of people who make the leap between what they're supposed to do and what their intuition is urging them to create. I'm Jay Kunzo. Whether you're a writer, designer, podcaster, marketer, or maybe me in a meeting giggling like a little girl, there's something thrilling and addicting about the moment you get a good idea. But balancing out that sheer giddiness is the sheer horror of somebody shooting it down. After all, as craft-driven creators, we constantly share our ideas with others who don't necessarily think like we do. And so we often keep the biggest or the most exciting or the most risky ideas private. And this notion of feeling protected from outside critique is something that we explored in our last big episode two weeks ago, where we heard stories of what happens if you start sharing work before you feel it's ready. If you missed that episode, go back and listen to The Art of the Unfinished, and be sure to check out last week's Slingshot episode called Magic Markers as well. That's about how this one creator used the side project to become the most powerful person in the room, all without saying a word. Today, we're going even deeper into the concepts explored in those two episodes, because what I really want to know is when we do share ideas with others, and they aren't well-received... Why do we all so often react in the same exact way? We go from excitement over our ideas to hesitation in sharing them to indignation that anybody would actually reject them. And when that happens, what do we say? Oh, well, they just don't get it. So why do we do that? Well, first, let's go back and explore this idea of secrets for a second. Think about when you've kept a secret buried deep inside before one that you feel is a big deal. You think about it a ton, and it practically consumes you, right? And when you finally share it with somebody else, that's a big moment. Now, what if they react negatively to that? Or worse, what if they look at you like, that's not a big deal at all? After all that time you've agonized over it, 
wouldn't you concoct some kind of narrative as to why they're not receiving it well? I think the same thing applies with our creative ideas. And that's why we say, oh, they don't get it. But I'm getting ahead of our stories today, because the first, most fundamental question to ask here is, should we actually care if others like our ideas? And the answer is actually more nuanced than you might think. Here with a story to shed light on some of that stuff is a fellow craft-driven creator and a brand new contributor to Unthinkable, Andrew Littlefield. All right, Jay, so have you ever walked through a museum and you look at a piece of contemporary art and just kind of thought, huh? (laughs) Uh, That about defines how I handle art, especially modern art. My mom is a preschool teacher, and so I look at those Jackson Pollocks and I'm like, I'm pretty sure my mom's students could have and actually did create exactly that. So I'm totally with you. I, I, I just kind of don't get it. Ah, Jay, Jay, Jay. What are we going to do, man? Okay, so fair enough. I I won't give you too much crap for that. You're not alone. But uh, I talked to this artist, and he kind of completely changed my perspective on that because he doesn't start from that point of how do I make something people are going to like. In fact, he doesn't really give a flying you-know-what whether people get or like his work. Uh, And I tried really hard to goad him into talking about this, but it's just not on his radar. Instead, he told me something much more interesting. I'm walking through the crowded floors of the Affordable Art Fair, an annual art exhibition in New York City. It's opening night, so the crowds are thick, music is loud, and free drinks are flowing. But off in a corner, away from the mob of hip art enthusiasts, I see something that catches my eye. It's a large box with a full-length mirror on one side. Next to the mirror is a small, plain light switch. No one else seems to be paying attention to it, but there's a sign next to the box listing hours of operation. I go over to investigate, looking up and down at my mirrored reflection, adjust the bow tie, fix a stray hair. Then my eyes lock on that light switch. It's so tempting. I extend a finger and I flip the switch. Suddenly my reflection disappears. Standing in front of me, mere inches from my face, is a man in a suit staring at me, scowling. He quickly flips the light switch on his end, he disappears, and it's my face back in the mirror. That is a two-way mirror like the police use. So I'm watching them the entire time. They come up, they hit that switch, and these really bright lights come on on the inside, and they see me staring at them, and I'm about a foot away. A foot away from my now terrified face is Oliver Warden, a New York-based artist with a penchant for attention-grabbing pieces. And on the night of that art fair, he caused several hundred people to jump out of their skin. I have been making art my entire life. I was sort of discovered at kindergarten and taken to the principal for a drawing I did. And he called my parents and said, get this kid in art classes right now. And I've never looked back. So anyway, so I'm I'm sitting in Oliver's Brooklyn studio, a long, narrow space practically overflowing with artworks of all kinds, paintings, pictures, prints, and off in the corner, that big mirrored box. So I think with the boxes, you, you, the first experience is, ha ha, this is funny, or this is novel, or there's, a, and then you go, well, wait a second, what's really happening? And you start to figure out how it's working. You start to see the surveillance camera that's inside behind me and routing your image to the cafeteria so everyone can see what I see in the box. They're watching you now. And then it's like, oh, wait a second, start to piece it together technically and then conceptually, and then you start to realize something about yourself. There were a lot of people asking questions that night. People would hit the switch and try to capture the moment on their phone, bring their friends over to watch their reaction, 
and stand back to watch and laugh at strangers as they tried it for the first time. But even a piece as simple as this has critics. I have to make something that's going to captivate their imagination or make them ask a second question. And then it's their responsibility to do that or not. But, you know, some people walk up to the box, they click it for three times, and that's it. Or they don't click it at all. Or they watch somebody else click and go, they shrug their shoulders and walk away. That's all right. That's part of the experience. Hmm. But the people who do something weird, that's the people who actually I, I really pay attention to. Oliver knows there's a set of people who will connect with his work, and that's exactly who he's trying to reach. He's not concerned with the people who don't get it. And while he wants to create art that people connect with, he says there's a deeper question that all creators need to ask themselves. It's more important for me to make the work, I think. I know what it's about. You are the authority on your art. Don't ever let a critic tell you otherwise or anyone else. You are the absolute final say in your work. Now, it is also up to you to constantly ask questions of yourself. Um, it, there's a thing, a phrase I like. I call it the second question. You must ask the second question. So the question isn't, is this good or bad or right or wrong? It's, why do I need this to be good or bad or right or wrong? What is it about me that is begging this kind of question, the introspective question? So it just, you know, I think if somebody's frustrated about people not getting their work, they, can, they need to ask a deeper question of themselves. Just like the art he makes, Oliver wants creators to ask questions, to dig deeper, to examine and inquire and explore. And once a viewer of his work does that, they're bound to have a light switch moment themselves and say, oh, now I get it. Okay, so I think after hearing that, one thing feels easier and one thing still seems scary. The thing that feels easier is we're not really on the hunt for all people to like our ideas. Instead, we need to find the right people to like our work. And that means there will be some that are just wrong to reach. Some people that won't intrinsically like our ideas, and, and that's okay. And that just means that we need to keep going, keep sharing our ideas and our work until we find the right people to receive it. But the thing that still seems scary is that split second when an idea moves from something unshared to shared. When you've committed mentally to putting it out in the world and speaking it, there's still that tiny little hump which actually seems really big and really, really scary. In that instance, in that split second, your idea goes from yours and yours alone to something the entire world can now see and spread and respond to for better and oftentimes for worse. It's like standing frozen at the edge of a cliff about to dive into the water. So what happens if we just stopped feeling scared and jumped? I'm holding a postcard in my hand right now. Almost each of the million postcards that have been mailed to me anonymously with secrets have some artwork, a drawing or a picture, something on the front. This one says BFF and it has some flowers. And this secret says, when my husband cheated on me, my best friend told me if I was meeting all of his needs, he wouldn't be cheating on me. After my divorce, I had sex with her husband. <laughs> Oh so sometimes God. the secrets can, you know, allow you to peek into somebody's most private life in yeah. a way that can be humorous or you feel a connection. This is one I'm holding. This one came from Canada. It's got a picture of an elevator on the front. This is Frank Warren, the creator of Post Secret, a hugely popular blog where people share their secrets publicly. And Frank thinks the reason anybody would share a secret, just like the reason Oliver Warden shares his art, isn't so much to gain widespread acceptance. Instead, you know, it might be okay to share it with the right person. And honestly, 
that's probably the most common secret that's mailed to me is is somebody sharing a story about how they'd really love to find that one person who they could tell all of their secrets to, who they could be their full and true and whole selves around. I see that secret written dozens of different ways on postcards every week. Frank has sorted through millions of secrets on the blog in its 11-year history. And instead of scandalous, they actually all feel strangely artistic. They usually arrive at Frank's house in the form of postcards with little designs and copy on them, so they're kind of nice. And those secrets range from the serious and the very personal, like you just heard before, to things like... I feel guilty when I take elevators for one floor, so I limp when I get out. But again, rather than creating a blog full of internet trolls and personal attacks on other people, you get a supportive, communal vibe. I got a secret from a woman who said, I didn't realize I was in an abusive relationship until I understood that I had lost all of my opinions. And I posted that on the web and I got an email from another woman who said, I didn't even know how effed up my relationship was until I read this other woman's secret and recognized it in myself. I've decided to leave him and now I'm in a much better place. So one woman's secret inspired someone she'll never meet to change her life, to make a radical difference. That's a wonderful, refreshing feeling for the internet. But when Post Secrets started, nobody got it. My friends didn't get it. My neighbors didn't get it. My mom called the idea diabolical, as in work of the devil. <laughs> Even my wife didn't you know, get it, but she supported me. But here's the thing. I think if we really want to grow our unique ideas to fruition, it's very helpful to have faith in them to understand them as much as we can, but at the same time to be flexible. And as we're growing those ideas and, and bringing those seeds out of us into the world, they're going to get all kinds of reactions. You need to have the desire to understand your vision, push through, but also to listen and to alter course here or there. I think for the best ideas, it's kind of like this, this dance between you and your audience. You have something special inside of you for sure. But no matter how great it is, you really have to not compromise, but bring it out in a way that serves you and serves your audience. Frank had danced with his audience before and mostly stepped on their feet. He'd uh, actually failed in a few other very similar projects based on postcards until Post Secret took off. So I asked him, were you ever concerned about sharing this big, crazy idea for fear that others wouldn't get it? I think that's a great way to describe it, actually, if I can just jump right oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I felt that same way when I started this project. I haven't thought about it in those terms, but now that you framed it like that, I can see the seed being seen as a secret. I mean, people thought I was crazy to go out on the sidewalks after a hard day of work and solicit secrets from strangers. Um, I was handing out postcards with my address on it. And I, I just had this crazy faith in this idea, and I felt if I could really earn the deep confidence of strangers to tell me a true secret, something that they were hiding in their heart, it could really be something special. So fighting the urge to keep that idea bottled up, Frank shared it with the world, literally through those postcards, published each Sunday on a simple blogger blog. And the reason anybody would actually contribute their secrets so freely 
Frank thinks it comes down to one thing that he did right from the beginning. If I was just blogging about what was in my mind every Sunday, believe me, it wouldn't be that interesting. But I've invited the world to share their stories with me, and I've been presenting them in an honorable, safe, non-commercial way on the web for 10 years. And the website's had 700 million hits. That's all due to other people's stories and secrets and what they've trusted me with. And that trusting space evolved in ways that Frank could never have predicted. Six books, hundreds of talks, over a million postcards received, and dozens of community art projects all inspired by PostSecret. The postcards uploaded to the site were even featured as the backdrop to a concert put on by the All-American Rejects, a platinum recording group. And when we spoke, Frank was in the middle of a 25-city live performance tour to support PostSecret. None of that would have happened without one simple idea that Frank embraced. If you want your ideas to be better received, you need to create a space where everyone can share theirs more freely. I really think if there's a way to to leverage your impact, it's about creating a place where others can share their stories. In the same way, you know, you can look at a company like Apple. Um, Apple creates great products for sure, but they create marketplaces. Um, when you create play, a, a marketplace, that's, that creates phenomenally more value than just creating a product. And I think we can do that in an idea sense as well. We can create a place where others can share. So maybe we've been coming at this stuff all wrong. Maybe the key to all of this has been right in front of us the whole time. And I mean that literally. It's all about the person hearing our ideas because we think that the secret makes us different but in reality it's something that can connect us with others we spend so much time agonizing over our own secrets those those big ideas that we keep inside and when we share them we point the finger we blame the other person for not getting it but ask yourself how often do you spend trying to make everybody's ideas feel welcome How often do you spend creating a space that makes idea sharing just part of the culture in general, forgetting your own for a second? So instead of thinking, whatever, they don't get it, maybe next time ask, how can I make this place or this relationship better so that the next time I share something, they might? Because in the end, to quote entrepreneur Scott Belsky, who appeared on a former Slingshot episode of ours, it's not about ideas. It's about making ideas happen. And just imagine the ideas that we could make happen if only everybody would be more willing to share their ideas, to share their secrets. There are tens of thousands of other ideas out there right now as good as post-secret or better, just waiting for that one person to believe in it and have crazy faith and make it happen. I, I really feel like in terms of being a creative and following your passion and coming up with something new to add to the world that has value that the world hasn't seen before, almost more important than having that good idea is having the crazy faith and passion and desire and drive to execute it. So what have we learned here? Well, 
For starters, we're definitely not in the business of seeking some kind of universal approval or praise, because far more important than finding the most people to like our ideas is finding the right people. To do that, we have to put out work that we feel proud of for its own sake, things that we love, knowing that it's the best way to attract others who might also then get it. But at the same time, we also have to be open. Open to sharing what could otherwise be kept secret. Open to the opinions of others. And above all else, open to the bigger reason we share ideas with the world. As craft-driven creators who are guided by intuition, we need to act on that intuition when others feel afraid. That's part of the reason we do it, is to set an example for others and build that culture. We need to be the ones to raise our hands when nobody else will. I will speak up, I will share my ideas, and I will create that environment where everybody feels comfortable sharing what they feel is crazy or even secret. Now, as a New York sports fan myself, it pleases me to no end to conclude that maybe Michael Jordan got it wrong on that conference room poster. It's not about you taking shot after shot until you succeed. It's about making sure that others can take their shots too. Coming up in our challenge for the week, I'm putting my secrets where my mouth is. Or, I mean, out of my mouth. What I'm trying to say is, Frank got me to share out loud my deepest, darkest secret about making unthinkable. And I'm going to share it with you. That's in a minute. See? I'm just like flustered even thinking about it. Unthinkable is me, Jay Akunzo, and some serious smarties who help me get over my fear of sharing any crazy ideas. That group includes Andrew Davis, Josh Cole, Caroline Nuttall, Andrew Swinney, Chris Higgins, Elizabeth Davis, and Ryan Brescia. Our music, as always, is by Tyler Litwin, 2016's Vermont Maple Syrup Chugging Champion. Ah, congrats, Tyler. If you like our show and can spare, like, 30 seconds please, please, please consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes. It is the easiest way for others like you to find the show. Also, we have a ton of great bonus content from the episode that didn't make the final cut. Frank is just tremendous when you talk to him. And I'm sharing that on our newsletter only in a couple weeks. So be sure to sign up if you haven't. That's at unthinkable.fm. And it's also in the show notes. Frank, on our call, got me to admit something that I actually wasn't planning to talk about when our interview first started. And I wanted to share it with you because, well, okay, just take a listen to a few of these bonus minutes of me admitting this secret uh, because I wanted to live out the theme of today's episode and hopefully encourage you to share your own. So here goes nothing. So I will give you my secret and we'll see if that uh, I love reciprocates. It. So this show is about kind of, again, doing things the right way creatively, rejecting shortcut culture all around you in business, where a lot of people might go and seek some kind of silver bullet to unlock massive growth, not have to try hard, not not have to honor their craft. Everything I'm saying, every story I'm telling, every speech I give, every blog post I write, it's really around the creative element and doing things the right way and the long-term thinking. And now that I have Unthinkable out in the world and people are looking to it as that example... 
and I want to grow it and I want it so desperately to be special, I find myself increasingly drawn to looking for the shortcut Mm. and increasingly spending time going down the rabbit holes that I encourage our listeners never to go down. And I'm scared to admit that out loud, except this is now recorded. So there it is. It's out in the world. I'm the secret guy. So you, you shared it with the right person. I, I would <laughs> honestly say, though, you having those struggles, um, sharing your stories and, and thoughts with a community that has those similar struggles, I think that adds value to the conversation. I, I would want to have somebody um, who, who had that experience talk about those issues with me in the same way, frankly. Um, that when people talk at post-secret events about the struggles they've had with depression or self-harm or getting through negative times in their lives, I think those people have so much more to offer in terms of helping others or through therapy. Um, I, I used to volunteer on a suicide prevention hotline before I started post-secret. And I didn't realize it until I was about halfway through that um, the hotline and, and me helping others uh, was serving me probably more than whatever I was able to do on the phone to help others. So I think through those struggles, we're able to recognize issues at a deeper level and really offer more help and insight to others than we could otherwise. So congratulations for admitting that struggle, being in the middle of it, and joining that conversation with your listeners. <laughs> oh, I feel I feel a little bit better. I, I'm not going to lie. Just right in this moment, <laughs> I feel a little bit better. And I, and I know I know. Just saying it out loud like that. Um, you know, I know some people listening will will respond or or at least commiserate in their own heads. And you know, and I feel less inclined to go and look for that one simple place to post this episode between you and I and have all the listeners come running. You know. Well, let me take it to another level. Uh, you just shared a real secret, and I, I could hear the emotion in your voice when you did. Let's invite your listeners to share a secret back with you. Maybe they can mention it in the comments or something else, something they've struggled with that's a challenge to admit. And I'll tell you what's interesting. You'll receive some secrets back, I guarantee you, that tie into thoughts that you've been thinking about. And, and other people will share it as well. And it might be a great way to, to address some topics that are beneath the surface that people are feeling you know, shame or stigma connected to but, but need to be discussed. And by bringing them out, um, it can allow them to uh, not just be better understood, but perhaps you can recognize some behaviors that we can change or some tactics that we can use to get around them. The, the first you know, way to get through a problem is, is to discover it, and you can't do that until you talk about it. So it all starts with sharing a secret. So there you go. Ah, it feels good, but it feels scary to admit that, but also still good. Okay, so hopefully I've started us down the right path. And in the next seven days, my challenge to you is to take one idea that you feel is too crazy to share with anybody about your work and then share it, share it, share it, share it. When you want to stifle that laugh, just let it out. Because the only way to make sure the right people in the world actually get our ideas is to constantly share them like you don't care if they do. And that is unthinkable. Shout out to our listener, Adolfo Gonzalez. He actually left a longtime radio job because his intuition was pointing him in another direction, and he's looking to break into the world of startups and build a podcast of his own. Congrats, Adolfo. Keep it up, man. <laughs> 